This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. Welcome to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. It's your host, Tim Link, and I'm so glad you're joining us today. Uh, super duper duper excited about this show. It's always fun, always great to have my best pal and buddy come on the show. A fantastic writer. You know her as the New York Times number one best-selling author of the Sneaky Pie Brown series, as well as a host of other great books and great series. It's my good friend, Rita Mae Brown, of course. And uh, have Rita Mae on the show. Talk to her about her uh, latest book, Formidable Foes. So we'll talk a little bit about the book and the characters and what we can expect without giving it all away. And we'll also pick her brain a little bit about life in general and uh, her wonderful writing skills and what it takes to become a New York Times number one best-selling author. So it's going to be fun as always. So everybody hang tight. Come back right after this commercial break. You're listening to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. D-I-N-O-V-I-T-E.com. When we put him on the Dynavite, he took right to it. All of these symptoms disappeared. Dynavite is nutrition. If you want the dog to be healthy, you got to feed it something healthy. Something that he actually likes to eat. You need to put him on Dynavite. Dynavite for life. If you love your dog, you don't just want him healthy, you want him to be happy. You won't believe how happy your dog will be. D-I-N-O-V-I-T-E.com. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. Join us now is number one New York Times bestselling author, one of the best around. It's my good friend, Rita Mae Brown. Rita Mae, welcome back to the show. Well, it's good to be back. It is. It's great to hear your voice. Great to hear uh, all the excitement going on. I'm sure you're keeping yourself entertained. And then you got another exciting uh, Sneaky Pie Brown book coming out. You know, she just never stops. <laughs> she keeps- it's wonderful to have a cat that does your work for you. That's right. That's right. I've, I've been looking. I've been looking. I've got one. He just seems to want uh, fed and treats, but, uh, you know, the cat's life. But Sneaky Pie, writing those books, the latest is called uh, Formidable Foes. Uh, so tell us a little bit about the uh, the latest mystery and what's going on and uh, some of the, the fun tidbits on this one. Well, I did have fun with this one because it starts in spring, and uh, it starts with a peony opening, and I love peonies. So, I mean, it sounds crazy, and in a way it is crazy. Ultimately, these peonies, the girls, they're all working outside. I'm sorry, I should call them women, but, you know, the girls, uh, are doing yard work for the St. Luke's Lutheran Church. And about halfway through the book, they get into a thing about they want lipstick, the color of this one peony, which sounds so silly, and they get into a fight over it. But actually, it winds up being a super important clue to solving a murder because you know these things somebody has to die somewhere so i had fun well first of all i love doing flowers but i also had fun and i i mean your listeners are all over but i would assume every single state has certain residences that have historical value and have gardens at the time that the person lived there so let's say you were in kansas and it was settled in 1870 those gardens would be from 1870 here on the East Coast, where you and I are, the stuff goes back to the 1600s, and it's fabulous. And of course, because these are foundation buildings, 
you know, by the men that built our nation and their wives, et cetera, and the people who never got recognized for building our nation. We have this stuff all over. So some of this takes place at Montpelier, which is fabulous. And um, it winds up running into how some people make money in Virginia. And I'll leave it at that. <laughs> well, I love the fact. That's right. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I love the the uh, twofold on, on the the book uh, being sort of uh, started or surrounded by peonies. You know that hit home for me in a couple of ways. I'll tell you a real quick personal story. My wife Kim, she she loves flowers. I mean, we were watching a show last night, and in the background there were flowers, and she was pointing out the flowers instead of watching the plot of the show, which <laughs> was actually probably more entertaining than the show itself. But that's that's beside that. But uh, we've been together for a long time, and my mom is originally from uh, Kentucky, and I uh, grew up in Indiana, and my mom loved peonies. But she used to call them pineys. Pineys. I don't know why. So when she first met Kim, when we were first dating, uh, she came over well, and showing her garden and stuff, and she kept pointing to these flowers and calling them pineys. And Kim, for life, me, she first of all, she didn't want to correct her, but she couldn't figure out what these pineys were all about. <laughs> so, <laughs> so afterwards, we had this long conversation about you know the difference between pineys and, and peonies are actually the same. But I every time I see a peony, we have them here as well, and uh, or I hear about one uh, it, that just strikes a chord back to all those many, many years ago. The second part about that real quick is the fact that I know how brilliant of a writer you are, and I, and I, I don't dare getting into your mind because there's no way I can do that. How in the world do you start a mystery where someone dies and it kicks off by talking about a flower? I, know. <laughs> I have no idea. I wish I could answer that question. I mean, my mother said when I was little, oh, honey, ideas are like bats. They just fly in and out of your head, and it's the truth. <laughs> You know, I'll just sit down and something will happen. But the thing about flowers is kind of interesting. I would be willing to bet that everyone listening to you can remember flowers from their childhood, whether it was in their mother's garden or grandma's or a dear friend, and something captured their attention. Now, when you're little, it might be because of the color or it smells good, but they'll never forget that flower. Yeah. It takes you right back. Yeah, it is really interesting. Uh, we had, uh, as I mentioned, my mom used to have flowers everywhere. She could put them out, you know, and, and hers were always in the ground. She didn't want cut flowers. You know, she right. said, not even on my grave. I don't want cut flowers. She just she <laughs> put them in the ground. And I can't, for life of me, I cannot remember what this flower was. It was more of a bush. It had these uh, light purple flowers on it. Very attracted. It's sort of like a butterfly bush, if, if we'll call it that. But it attracts a lot of bees. She put a row of those up right beside where my dad parked his car. And dad was a man of few words, and he was even a man of fewer words when it came to mom. If mom said that's where she wants the flowers, that's where the flowers are going to go. <laughs> so, so you know, you're right. You're absolutely right. I still remember to this day my dad having to rush in to open his car door and close it real quickly before the bees went inside the car. Oh, and, that's funny. Uh, yeah, I can hear him mumbling to this day. He didn't mumble loud enough for her to hear it because uh, she'd pick up something and throw it at him. But <laughs> you know, It's funny that you're saying your dad has few, fewer words where your mother was concerned. I think our grand, well, I'm old, but parents and grandparents, there was women's fear and there was men's fear. Now, you can say there was institutionalized depression. Yes, there was. You know, women were not going to have careers as a brain surgeon or whatever. But nonetheless, in their world, 
the men respected it, and they didn't interfere. You know, if a wife says, honey, we're going to do X, Y, and Z, like where you plant flowers or a new pot she needed for the kitchen or she wanted a certain color on the wall, that was it. Yeah. And I think my take on it perhaps is, you know, as you mentioned, you know, days of my grandparents, you know, the male figure would typically be the one working. He'd be the one, you know, bringing in the money and, and the wife felt that she needed to stay home, raise the kids and not say a lot. But when she had something to say, then he needed to listen because he knew it was going to be something important. I think that's changed a lot over the years. I think it's sort of <laughs> gone the, the, <laughs> the opposite route where uh, women are, are definitely getting uh, out there and doing it and, and actually doing it much better than us uh, males are. And uh, and then, of course, what they say, we need to listen from the get-go. There's uh, Whether it's uh, they speak up often or not, it's uh, when they speak, yes, listen. <laughs> Yeah, well, I I mean, what I listen to, I can't say that I listen to other women any more than I listen to men, but I do listen to the cats. And I do listen to the dogs, because they have ways to get even that humans just can't ever think about. Uh, which I, you know, try to get in these books, because I have a lot of fun with these books. Yeah, and so when Sneaky Pie puts together this great book that we're, we're seeing, and I could visualize every bit of it as well as what I've read, is um, how does uh, Sneaky Pie Brown get the book started, get it through its murder mystery, introduce some uh, great history behind it, and some of these characters that are, in, that are in the book. Oh, well, I have to be your researcher, obviously. But one of the things that I think having an animal be so important and trying to look at the world through animal eyes, they don't see us the way we see one another. They see gender, but they don't necessarily care. But the things that we find very important about other human beings, like what church they go to, if they go to church, do they have an education? Animals don't really care, but they have an uncanny ability to know what we feel. Don't you find that true? Absolutely. And, you know, they know that. They're so in tune with us. They have that heart connection with us. And they know how we're feeling and what's going on with us and how our energy has shifted long before we stop to recognize it. And uh, I tell people all the time, you know, and my clients as well as just uh, friends and family that if your animal's acting a little bit different, whether they're acting a little bit more uh, clingy, uh, whether they're around more, whether being more, staying away more than they usually do, that's a great indicator. They're a great barometer for you to stop, take a look within yourself, take a look within the family, see what's going on. Because we go through life just in such a rapid pace as humans that we don't take the time to even slow down and look around us, let alone look within ourselves to see what's going on. Yes, it's one of our great weaknesses. And then when you consider that we now have 24-hour-a-day news and electronic intrusions into our life, maybe if there is any good that can come from this virus, it's forcing people back on themselves. Yeah, and I'm hoping, and I'm hoping that that will stick. Because you're absolutely right. I mean, I never, I will fully state it now, I never watched the news. I, I just avoided it because there's going to be something that just ticks me off. <laughs> <laughs> and and that last, especially, uh, you know, a network uh, news, uh, you only get the last minute and a half hopeful, happy news. The rest of it is contentious. But with the virus, COVID-19, that we're presently going through, you have to stay aware. You have to see, know what's going on, know what's going on in the world, the nation, your community. So it's kind of a, a tightrope. Uh, but the animals, they don't care. 
you know, and I think that they're here actually to uh, to calm us more and to get us out more. And I am seeing more and more people in our neighborhood uh, walking their dogs and spending more time with their animals and, you know, uh, these type of things. Um, and I think it's a very positive thing, and I hope it sticks uh, long after we're through this uh, challenging period we're in. Well, I'm sure this is happening where you are, but the animal shelters, they're empty. People have been adopting animals that are... are, are well, because they're sitting home alone, and then they just did a, a little news break, which it, it makes sense. It's not really sad. It could be sad, but it turns out to be okay. Um, people who have died from the coronavirus, their cats and dogs are going to the shelters, but people mm-hmm. are taking them. I mean, they're not, not sitting there. I think there was only one German Shepherd left at one of the local shelters here, uh, and it's a big dog. I think it'll go. It's a very pretty dog, but... People are stepping up and helping out, and and that makes you feel good too. Yeah, and that's a great message. And I think right now, more than anything, you know, when we're we're going through situations where a human companion has has made their transition and they're looking for a place, a temporary place, uh, to hopefully get their uh, their dog or their cat situated. I've also seen where um, in even in our area where someone had lost their their job. Didn't know where to turn. Didn't know what to do. Uh, money was running out. They were losing their their place to live, and they basically just abandoned their dog at a oh. local dog park. Good news is that someone uh, found the dog quickly and got it squared away and got it to a foster home. And uh, you know we're hopeful that they'll either be reunited or find a uh, right and perfect forever home. So I, I think the encouragement is go out and get those dogs and cats and other animals, foster them, bring them into your home, but realize it's a full-time commitment that you're going to have to provide for them and, and they're going to provide for you and give you love. But if you're in a situation where you already have a pet and you need to be able to uh, find a place for it uh, temporarily or a uh, permanent home, this is the probably the best opportunity because when was the last time we've ever seen shelters and rescues empty? I know. I often wonder if I had known Sneaky Pie's personality when I when that little kitten grabbed me all those years ago, would I have taken her? Because, you know, they really do have very vivid personalities, which most of your people know. But some of the stuff these animals get into, you sit there and you think, if a human did that, I would be outraged. But here I am laughing until the tears are coming from my eyes at this cat or dog or whatever they're doing. I have... Um, I mean, I, you know, I live on a big farm, and I have an Irish wolfhound. It's a long story, but anyway, and the cats wait until the Irish wolfhound lies down and then lie all over, but there's always one that gets on her head and bat and tries to reach over and bat her mustache. Now, if a human did that, it would, would irritate the heck out of us, but the dog just loves it. <laughs> I mean, you look at this, and here's this giant animal being set upon by cats, and it's as happy as it can be. And I don't know. I couldn't live without them, but that's the way people are. And I couldn't write without them, obviously, because I think the animals that people have whenever they had them. For instance, Cardinal Richelieu, the great manipulative mind that created modern France, uh, the counselor to Louis the Thirteenth. The Three Musketeers is written about in ways about Cardinal Richelieu. Had twelve cats. Always had to have twelve cats. And you start looking through history. Who liked cats? Who liked dogs? Um, who didn't like animals? Uh, a few didn't, but most did. Napoleon couldn't stand cats, which makes sense to me, because he was a dictator. He wanted things to be totally obedient. 
<laughs> that is fascinating. And my rule of thumb is that anyone that doesn't like dogs and cats or animals, uh, they ought to, they ought to be leading anything. That's the my <laughs> that's my theory right there. Because uh, they definitely will, uh, you know, bring so much to your life. And you're right, their own unique personalities. Uh, they come into our life for a reason. And like you mentioned with Sneaky Pie, I mean, can you imagine? I mean, you you were a great writer before Sneaky Pie Brown came into your life. You'll be a great writer many years from now. But look at what what this relationship the two of you have and what it's developed as far as uh, putting uh, these wonderful mysteries together. Well, you know, you're very kind to use that adjective. I don't really feel that I am. You read the book I wrote. I always know the book I wanted to write. Now explain that a little bit more. I always fall short. You know, I'll go back. I see my mistakes. Oh, I wish I could have done this better. I wish I could have done that. But you always try. You do another one and you always try. And the English language is tricky. It appears to be very simple because it's easy to learn, relatively easy to learn if you're, uh, if you have been born speaking another language. I mean, all the synonyms can fool you. But in the, in the main, if you just stick to very simple English, old English, which would be Anglo-Saxon, it's noun, verb, direct object. You know, the subordinate clauses and the elegance come from the Latin, which is 60% of our language. But when you have to work with it, when it's your tool, sometimes I just sit there and I think, how am I going to say this? <laughs> I don't know if you ever have that experience. It's just, how am I going to get this out? Yeah, yeah, no, it, it's absolutely true. And, uh, you know, the words that you use and, and how you go about doing it is, is a different thing. Of course, if you're like me, if I don't know how to spell it or pronounce it, then I find another word that's a little bit easier <laughs> for me to <laughs> spell and understand. That's a good plan. Yeah, I think that's the easiest way to do it. But I think it's, a, you know, a great author, you know, uh, or any author, any writer that's, that's, that's whether they're at the beginning of their uh, career or doing this uh, just for their own uh, entertainment purposes, whatever it may be, all, all the way up to published authors and, and people that do it for a living. I don't think you could ever be satisfied with what you put on. You know, when it's done and dusted and you read through it for the 8,000th time or your <laughs> editor makes you do that, I, I think even after that, you, you wished you would have done something else or said it differently or, you know, if you get, uh, never try to pay too much attention to reviews one way or another, but, you know, when you get input from people you respect, it's like, you know, whatever happened to that animal or why did you choose that flower, these things, and you didn't know exactly why, you'd want to tweak it. But, you know, it's out there, it's published, and the best you can do is, is go for the next one and see if you could do it a little differently or, you know, resolve it. But I don't think you could ever get totally happy. If you get too too happy, you're going to get too complacent, and then the, uh, the writing and the message is going to get stale. Yeah, I think that's true. One of the things that I have tried to do, I have an 18th century storyline now in the Sneaky Pie books. And, of course, animals are very important. There's a corgi that survived the Revolutionary War with his owner, who was a British officer. He's getting kind of old, so um, he might, you know, we might see him go uh, in the next thing, but there'll be puppies, don't worry. But, you know, he, he's lived a long life. He's seen a lot. And in those days, horses were critical to you. If you didn't ride, somebody had to have a carriage. It was our mode of transportation, that, and boats, and that was it. And so whoever had ability with the horse was fairly secure in terms of a job in some respect. And there's this uh, two, well, three, really, if you count the girl. I mean, she sort of came along thinking she was in love with somebody, which, of course, that never works out. But there's these two slaves, young slaves. One is like 19, 
And the other one, well, he's getting a little older than 19, and the other one was in his early 20s. And the one is just no good. I mean, there's no way around it. I mean, he lies, he steals, he cheats from everybody. It doesn't matter who it is. Um, the other one is decent, but doesn't like where he is. And so they run, and they, they manage to get away. They manage to get across the Potomac into Maryland, where they get a job. And, and the one's a good rider, and the other is so-so. But it's obvious the, the way they will make their way through the world is through their skill with horses. And it fascinates me that when now when people talk about slavery, it's as though no one's an individual. And individuals have different abilities. And those mm -hmm. different abilities can make your life better or not. There's no good about being a slave. But if you're going to be a slave, at least have a decent job and enough to eat and some respect. So if you have those abilities, you know them, and the people around you who are also enslaved want you to develop them, you know, particularly if you're their child. All parents want their children to have better lives. And that has been fascinating to me, to dig around and unearth the people whose names have come down to us who were good uh, riders or good with horses, and they generally were remarked upon in, in the books, of slave owners' books. And you look at this and you think, you know... Human variety will never change. There are people that can do mm. things and people who can't. There are people who can get along with other people and people who can't. And yeah. you look at yeah. this, and, and that is what fascinates me. And there are always people who are born who can communicate with animals. Absolutely. Well, you know, I, I agree with that, you know, and I, I think as, uh, you know, being an animal communicator, I, I've learned that early on. You know, when we're young, we're open to everything. Everything's just knowledge around us, the, the animals around us, the people, the plants, everything. We're just soaking it all up. And we don't know any better. You know, uh, we're not taught anything different. We know we can communicate with the animals and they can communicate back with us. And uh, unfortunately, by the time we go to school, you know, five, six, seven years old, and we're taught to communicate in a certain fashion, and we're taught what the values of our society is and what's acceptable and what's not acceptable, we tend to lose that, and uh, that doesn't get nurtured. And so very few of us actually find that window somewhere down the road uh, to be able to nurture that. And uh and I believe that is true. And I think it's true for all the skill sets that are out there, whether we're talking about communicating with animals or whether we're talking about horsemanship or whether we're talking about you know, non-animal related things. There are skill sets that everyone has. And I think if it's uh, something you're passionate about, I think if your parents uh, encourage you and support you through all that, uh, you can become quite the master at whatever it is that uh, you choose to do. And uh, I'm like you. I'm always fascinated by that. I, you know, when I was growing up, I'm, I love cars. You know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I have to admit, you know, I'm a, uh, you know, red-blooded American boy who loves cars. And uh, <laughs> you know, but I can If you ask me to fix anything in a car, there's no chance. I mean, I could point out what it, what the device is, the, the in the old cars, you know, but I, I couldn't fix it if you, to save my life. But I was surrounded by a lot of people. You know, my 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 dad, definitely my uncles, brother-in-law, so on and so forth. That could. You know, they could tear down every part of a, an engine and put it back together the same day. And me, it's like, I could tear it up, but that's about as far as it's going to get. <laughs> yeah, the garage loves to see you coming. Yeah, they, do. Uh -oh. they do. It's like, oh, good. I got that vacation home, that cabin I've been wanting to buy. Here we go. Uh, yeah, you don't want to see me. But that's the, you know, my skill set is uh, I'm a people person. I'm a talker. I, I, could, uh, I always tell people I couldn't tell you how a watch was built. But if you want to buy one, I will tell you why you want the one I've got. So that's oh, that's the, funny. <laughs> that's uh, the. But I, you know, I through the years though, people have told me I they couldn't do what I do. 
They couldn't stand on a stage in front of thousands of people and talk to them or, or do a performance. They couldn't go one-on-one doing interviews on, on you know, throughout the media. They couldn't sell someone a, a product or a service because it'd be just too much for them. And for me, that's natural. I, I look at that, think, why wouldn't you want to do that? I, I'd, you know, I'd love to be on a stage every every day of my life if I could. So it's fascinating. I mean, that's that's what makes that's what makes life exciting. That everybody can do these different things. And back to the book a minute. These three slaves that have escaped and wound up on a farm in Maryland because Maryland was it wasn't a free state. It was it was Maryland has always been oddly uh, malleable. Let's put it that way. And um, here they are, these three, by my standards, kids, and they have dreams. All young people have dreams. And I think about that, and I think, well, how do these dreams change? Every one of us. Is it that the, the iron hand of oppression finally beats it out of us? Or in other cases, particularly for women, they get pregnant early, and your life changes very dramatically. For others, we actually accomplish that dream, and maybe it wasn't what we thought, or maybe it was better than we could have imagined. And I, I just keep going back to us showing our hand when we're lo- young, like you're saying, you know, with the animals or whatever. Like, I always dreamed I would be surrounded by animals, and I am. Absolutely. You know, and that's why I think it's important. I mean, uh, whatever your passion is, whatever you're, you're meant to do, uh, allow that to happen and see it happening, and it will definitely happen. So, like you said, uh, surround yourself with animals. That was a natural they're always going to be attracted to you, you know, through that, you get that shining heart beacon and they're like, Oh boy, I know where, I know where a farm is, where a sucker lives. And here's where I'm going. (laughs) There's a neon sign at the end of my driveway that turns on at night that says free eat. I'm sure of it. But, But anyway, what I love is what I learn. And I try to put it in the books without being cute. Of course, it's a struggle because so many times you do find animals engaging in a way that you don't find people, so you think of it as cute. But they really know what's going on around them. They're completely in tune with their environment as they're in it. We're always trying to change our environment, quote, improve it. We're always thinking about tomorrow instead of fully living today. I really think that's the human curse. Yeah, I do too. You know, I, I think that, you know, animals like us, you know, we have a past, a, a present and a future. And uh, the unfortunate thing is humans tend to live either in that past or in that future. They're thinking about the future or they, they're bogged down by the past and it's very hard for us to live in that present moment. Animals are just the opposite. If we allow them to sort of understand their past but not get bogged down by it and allow them to live in that present moment, then the future is just going to happen. And I think it's the biggest lesson we need to learn from our animals. Well, they remember the past. I mean, that, that's something a lot of times people discount. I mean, some of this is changing now. Since universities have decided to study animal emotion, they've, they've finally admitted that animals have emotion, which I just find appalling in a way that it took all these centuries. But at any rate, they do have a past, and they remember. And if you're around horses, it's real clear they remember. But as to the future, I don't think they conceive of it as we do. Yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right. You know, they definitely understand their past, whether it was uh, good, bad, or indifferent. Uh, if we as humans allow them to learn from that, you know, as a teaching teaching mechanism uh, about their past, and let them focus on the present, that's the key behind it. You know, I, I obviously work with a lot of rescue organizations, former president of a humane society, and so many times people will tell me about an animal that they've adopted, and the, the first thing they mention is, you know, all the things they think 
possibly could have happened that were all bad for this animal in the past. Sometimes they know the history. A lot of times they don't know the history. They're just assuming. And I tell them, well, that's great. Now maybe perhaps you want to tell me your, your dog or your cat's name. So allow them to learn from that past. Same thing, horses are a key behind that too. They, they will remember it. And if we allow them to, to understand their past but live in that present moment, uh, that's the important thing. Uh, if we continue to reflect back to their possible past, then we're going to uh, now never allow them to live in that present moment. You know, that's a good point. That is a good point. When I look at these things, particularly when I'm writing the books, I'm trying to encompass that present reality and, and the people. And of course, you could make fun of the people all the time, but that's not fair, really. But I, I try to get the interaction as, it, as most of us experience it. And then you look at it from the animal's point of view, who can smell fear, you know, when we're fearful, who can smell anger, we can't. All of these clues that they have that maybe once we could do it, but we can't do it now. We've become so dependent on technology and also language, perhaps, that we block what we don't want to see, and they don't. That's right. More lessons. More lessons for our animals. Yeah, so in terms of writing mysteries, they're fabulous because they see it, they smell it, they hear it. Absolutely. The the human characters are trying to push it back or not, not see it because it just, it socially doesn't fit. Well, you talk about characters, and, and the latest book is Formidable Foes, uh, Sneaky Pie Brown Mystery, so we're excited about that. Who are some of these new characters? Can you introduce us to a couple of them that... Uh... Well, yeah, the slaves that got away, I mean, they've been in other books, but they're young. I mean, they're teenagers. They're getting there. Sully and William and Ralston. And, of course, the boys, I think of them as boys because they're late teenagers, early 20s, you know they're going to hate one another. They're going to they're gonna have conflict, uh, and they do. And uh, one of the reasons Ralston left Cloverfield, snuck away, is he just couldn't stand Jetty. I mean, again, two, two boys in their late teens wanting the same thing. There was no way they were ever going to get along. But the ones that got away have made a beginning. Um, you think or you pray they're going to make it. The ones, that, the ones in the 20th century, I mean, they're all the people you know, Harry and Susan and her friends and the very Reverend Herbert Jones. But... More takes place in what is called the Dorcas Guild, which is the Women's Guild at St. Luke's Church. Now, most churches still have a women's group and a men's group. They may have mixed ones, but there's still these same-sex groups because some people are more comfortable that way. And so the women, of course, have the things they have to take care of. And, of course, they're competitive. A couple of them are just so competitive. They want to do the best this and the best that. And it gets funny, but it also gets dangerous. I mean, I, I don't want to give I don't want to give the story away, but a lot right. of it runs through the church and also runs through these flowers. And you and uh, I had an aunt. <laughs> your, your listeners are just going to have to endure this. I had an aunt who liked to show flowers, and she was very good at it. Everybody in our family has a green thumb. Doesn't matter what generation it is, we got the green thumbs. And Aunt Mimi, who you would know as Louise if you read the 601 series, is just the mm-hmm. best of all of us. Well, she would enter these contests and this and that. Well, she would cheat. When nobody was looking, she would pour gin into her daffodil water, and it perked <laughs> him right up, and she would win. And of course, that, that is in this book, not with my aunt doing it, but with Harry doing it, our main character. She cheats <laughs> and gins up the plants. And so, but this is how my aunt got away with it. Of course, I knew it was wrong. I was a child, but I knew it was wrong. And so I did mention to her, and she said that I always bring it up in confession and I'm always forgiven. And I thought, boy, that's a neat <laughs> trick. 
<laughs> I can't remember that. Yeah. So are you saying the neat trick is putting the gin in the water so the flowers perk up, or that you can do whatever you want to do six days of the week as long as you go to confession? On well, I think they're both pretty good. <laughs> but she knew she was cheating. She always confessed, and she was always forgiven. And I'm like, how did I get in this family? What? You know, <laughs> is this a blessing or a curse or both? I mean, they were lunatics. They really were lunatics, but they had very good manners. And as you, your people came from Kentucky, you know that counts. Oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely. You know, it, my my family history. I it's interesting. My 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 folks unfortunately have made their transition, but uh, I find out more and more now about them than I did back then. You know, it, it was the, it was a generation of you. you you didn't talk a whole lot about yourself. You didn't talk about what the family did. You didn't, you know, you didn't communicate back and forth, even with large families. You know, I, my, my dad's side, he's one of 13. And so, oh my God. yeah, so there's cousins everywhere. And with our wonderful social media, they popped out everywhere. There's cousins I, I didn't know or, or hadn't seen since I was a child. But uh, the interesting thing is, though, through their situations you know they'll contact me and say you know i found these old photos you know be old photos of you know, my parents or my grandparents that, that i'd never seen in my life and they had had it and they could tell me little stories about when they remember uh you know going to the farm or going to uh you know my grandmother's house or whatever it may be so um, i think that part of it is is very fascinating but yeah, I, I did not know. I, that would have been a nice story to, to know. That <laughs> money well, you know I mean, you start thinking about it. I mean, here I am in this wonderful, beautiful part of Virginia looking straight at the Blue Ridge Mountains. And one half of the family got here in 1622. And the other half got into Maryland in, I guess, the 17th. Uh, no, the 1640s. I mean, we're, we're, for lack of a better word, we're old Americans, which doesn't make us better than anyone else. It just means we're old Americans. But, <laughs> God, I mean, I don't, again, these people just drive me crazy. The stuff they would get into. And they would remember the stuff, you know, because we had the family Bibles. And uh, there was an aunt who was shelling peas. This is back in, like, 1830. She's shelling peas, and she has a metal colander. And wouldn't you know, out of the blue, a lightning bolt comes, hits the colander, and she dies. Oh well, of course, God. we all have to learn this uh, story. So I thought, well, this is a great, great help to me, because now I'll never shell peas. I didn't get anywhere with it. I still had to shell peas. <laughs> the other stuff you learn, and I'm sure it's where you are, is, uh, again, so many of us have families that have been here for, what, almost four centuries. And so you, you well, they have been here for four centuries. And, you know, the Yankees come down, and they like it here, and they move here. They love it, but they want us to act like they do, which is really not going to happen. And at some point, you have to tell them, honey, you can't say that. Don't you realize if you go back far enough, we're all related? You have just dumped on somebody's cousin once removed. And, and then there's a look on their face. <laughs> we can't help it. <laughs> we're all related. That's right. That's right. And, and, and guess what? It's it doesn't matter what color you are. We're all related. <laughs> I mean, and that's another thing that's sort of like, oh, yeah, oh, it's right. Here we are. <laughs> you know? That's right. Maybe that's why our grandparents and stuff didn't talk too much about these things. Cause <laughs> uh, well, can you imagine if they really told us the truth? Oh, my goodness. Oh, my I mean, goodness. good Lord. I mean, and the other problem with the sex is, well, I mean, the South is there just seems to be a great deal of sexual energy. Now, I'm sure there's sexual energy in Massachusetts, and uh, at least we know the Kennedys had a fair amount. And we, <laughs> I'm sure there's activity in the Midwest, but 
That's my mama said, honey, let me tell you something. A southern man is hot as a 40-ball tomcat. <laughs> true. I mean, the trouble we get into. But at least it's interesting. And then you're old and you remember and laugh about it because nobody looks at you anymore. <laughs> I mean, I love the South. I can't stop writing about it. Oh, my gosh. It is so funny. It is so funny. You're bringing back some of these memories. You know, as I said, my, my dad was one of 13 kids, and he only had three kids, and one of his other brothers only had two, and they thought they were something was wrong with them. Well, <laughs> you <know? laughs> Didn't you have 10 kids like all the rest of us did? And, uh, I think that's probably because they left Kentucky and moved a little, little bit further north, not much further north, but a little bit further north. They decided, okay, three kids or four kids was plenty. I understand why anyone has one. I can understand why maybe they have two. But if you have three, you've only got two arms. That third one's always going to squirt away. (laughs) How are you ever going to keep these kids together? Oh my gosh, I don't know. I don't know. Even and especially today, you know, we circle right back around to this this terrible time we're having with the uh, COVID nineteen, and I I applaud those families that have to work from home, and the kids are at home, and they're trying to get them to study, but yet it's here in the South, it's beautiful outside, and uh, you know, uh, I couldn't imagine. You know, back in my days, it would have worked out fine. Mom would have made sure you know she would got the hickory stick out if uh, if I tried <laughs> to get sneak out. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, of course, back in those days, they they once school was out, you know, they want you out of the house. You better get out, you know, as soon as you eat your breakfast and put away the dishes, you better get out of there and not come back till dinner time. But uh, oh yeah, it was that way for us too. Yeah, um, it's interesting. I often think my mother liked her dog better than she liked me, and of course, now that I'm old, I understand. <laughs> of course, she liked her dog better than she liked me. But you, again, you look back and you realize how lucky we are to have seen what we've seen. We've seen upheaval. We've seen, well, I've seen three wars. And now we have this. And we and we have, you know, we have, we're, we're reminded there are terrible things that still happen, like that poor fella that was jogging that got shot in Georgia. Now, that's going to drag on forever. I mean, you know that. It's going to be, instead of it, the people coming forward and getting the authorities on it right away, it dragged out for all. There's two Georgias, which you know, I'm sure you know. And it's mm-hmm. more obvious in Georgia than elsewhere because there have been so many new people moving into Georgia because Atlanta is mm-hmm. just a powerhouse. God bless you, Maynard Jackson. You know, I mean, it's become one of the great cities in America and people want to be there and there's opportunities and there's excitement and this and that. But they're very different than, say, the people that grew up in Macon. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've been here since 96. So I I think through uh, once Atlanta started growing, the airport came into play, then the Olympics came into play, and that that totally changed the the game around here. And it is definitely different. I mean, I live outside of the metropolitan Atlanta area in the suburbs, but – that uh, you, you take a look at Atlanta as a hub, and then you go to the suburbs. It's a little a lot different there. Then you go an hour up the road in any direction. You're in a rural Georgia, and that's a totally different ball game. That's that's true Southern, uh, you know, in those places. And so you're absolutely right. It's um, I'm sure each uh, metropolitan city across the nation has these pockets, but you definitely see it here in uh, in Georgia. But the interesting thing I find, you know, like the the tragedy of what's going on in the news today with the uh, gentleman getting killed uh, just for simply jogging down the road for no apparent reason, it impacts all of it. At that point, it becomes Georgia. It, it, for good or bad, it's all the same. You know, everybody's involved and has a has a stake in that. 
And um, so that's where I see it uh, being really different around here, uh, even though you can definitely break down the differences between Atlanta, the, the burbs, and the, and the rest of the uh, state. I think this is one of the ways we're different from our animals. It almost takes a death for us to wake up or be reawakened. It takes terrible things to happen. Otherwise, we just turn our heads and go on our merry way. I mean, how many years have we known that we did not have enough medical supplies should there be a medical crisis? We've known, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know? And yeah, absolutely. Whatever it is, it's something in human nature. Again, you can say, well, the animals don't plan for the future. Well, that's not true. There's this wonderful book, The Genius of Birds by, Jan- I think, Janice or Janet Ackerman, and it's marvelous. It's about how the bird mind works and how they plan for the future. And you read some of these things, and now there's a, a new book that just came out by uh, David Sibley, the, the great sort of bird writer in America, uh, about the minds of birds. And you look at this, and I just keep thinking, we are so far behind. We believed in the Bible. We believed we really were the superior creature. And in so doing, we really got thrown out of Eden. We're the odd one out. Yeah, absolutely. And all we can do is uh, do our best, pull together, get through these situations. And as I mentioned before, uh, hopefully we learn. Hopefully learn a lesson and apply something to the betterment. Because this is, you know, something else is going to come about. There's going to be some other pandemic. There's going to be some other battle, uh, we'll say, that we have to face. And, uh, you know, the best thing we can do is is uh, work together to get through it and then learn from it and apply something. So we're not sitting here the next time around saying, hey, where's all the, the equipment? Why don't we have this? I don't know. I don't know. I hope so. If not, I'm just going to grab my, my dogs and my kitties and stuff and be happy. <laughs> <laughs> they are wonderful. They really are. They're, they're I mean, I I mean, I, of course, I have fun with them. I always have fun with them. And I have, I have fun in this formidable follows because there's an Irish wolfhound that's still not full grown. I mean, he, you met him as a puppy two books ago. And, uh, of course, he doesn't know anything. He's a kid. And all young animals have to learn. So they learn from other animals I mean, of their species, and they can learn from animals not in their species. And if they have a good human, that can help. Well, this poor dog has no idea how awful Peter the fat cat is, you know, and she's just terrible to him. And, you know, here there, here there's murders going on. The cat could care. Now, the other kitty does. Mrs. Murphy, she cares. But Peter just, you know, where's the tuna? <laughs> this poor dog is trying to grapple with this self-centered cat who thinks the world started when she came into it. And what's going on? And, you know, at the end, uh, uh, Harry may well be killed here. She's in a moment of terrific danger, which fortunately the dogs figure out. But I look at this stuff and I think, you know, this just happens every day in one way or the other. It's made dramatic in the novel, but it's it's every day with animals. Absolutely, and what they teach us. And I love the characters. I, I love the, the growth of everything going on. And, uh, you know, I love how you put together the books just in general. I've said this before. You know, it's it's always something new. It's educational. There's a lot of great history in there. There's a lot of new tidbits. But yeah, you still have some of the same characters, and you see their growth throughout this whole thing. They're not just the same. You know, Sneaky Pie is not the same as she was back in the day. So all the characters in the book definitely have uh, shows their growth and and uh, what's going on with them today. Don't you think you've learned more from the years than you did from books? Mm, I don't. <laughs> I, try, I try to learn as little as I possibly can. Read, man. <laughs> well, at least you're honest. That's I mean, right. It served me well all these years, so I'll stick to it. <laughs> well, 
You know, I mean, what I have learned is there are things over which you have no control, but you can control how you react to them, and the same with people. But in the main, if you just open your eyes to what is around you, it's magic. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Well, listen, we're coming to the end of the show today, unfortunately, but everybody go pick up a copy. Uh, it's the latest in the Sneaky Pipe Brown series, uh, Formidable Foes. It's going to be enjoyable. It's going to be educational, wonderful characters, all, all the good stuff you come to expect over the years and, and more. So uh, as usual, Rita May, another, another, another great job. Oh, thanks. And I hope your, your readers will both adopt animals if they don't have them, but maybe they'll plant some peonies too. Yeah, get those pineys in the ground. That's what we need. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it's good to hear your voice, Tim. And and thanks for for calling, and we'll all get through this. There you go. Great to hear from you, too, as always, my good friend. So everybody pick up a copy of the book, Formidable Foes, by the incredible Rita Mae Brown. Well, we're coming to the end of the show today. I want to thank everyone for listening to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. I want to thank the producers and sponsors for making this show possible. Uh, if you have any ideas, comments, or suggestions for the show or people you want to see on the show or hear from on the show, please drop us a line at PetLifeRadio.com. We'll be glad to entertain your comments, answer your questions, and bring on the people you want to hear from most. And while you're there, uh, check out all the other wonderful, great hosts and shows. There's a whole plethora of fabulous entertainment on Pet Life Radio. That's PetLifeRadio.com. So until next time, write a great story about the animals in your life. Put it in a blog, an article, in a book, whatever it may be. Get it out there. And who knows? You may be the next guest on Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. Have a great day. Let's Talk Pets. Every week on demand. Only on PetLifeRadio.com.